we're in a new series. We're starting a new series here in, in January. We'll probably spend about six weeks or so on it. And we're looking at the parables of Jesus. Um, now, I think I, I've, I've had a lot of people say, man, what, what's this dragon stuff? Like, you've got to decode that for me. That's a little weird. So, so let me kind of decode that, kind of explain, you know, what that's all about. If you were here in um, November when, when we finished up the last series, we spent a few weeks looking at the life of C.S. Lewis. And um, the last week, we looked at this idea that C.S. Lewis transitioned kind of toward the end of his life from what was his, his kind of main staple of writing just direct theology, kind of apologetic stuff, reasoning with people. And um, he, he said, you know what, I think, I think I've done my part. I think I've done what, you know, what I was called to do. And I think I've reached as many people as I can reach who are interested in having a dialogue and a conversation and, and, and a discussion about these issues in a straightforward way. And he goes, but what about the people who kind of like, they just have smoke screens up and obstacles and they, I don't even get a hearing with them. I want to talk to them about Jesus, but there's like, I, I can't even get a hearing. And so he said, you know, what if, what if I did something, what if I told a story? And the story kind of invited them inside the story. And so he started writing fantasy and story, and he said, maybe, maybe with story, I could, I could kind of sneak in unawares, was his language. And he had this great line, let me read it to you. He said, suppose that casting all of these things, he's talking about what does it mean to be human, and, and who is God, and what are relationships about from a biblical perspective. What if, what if casting all of these things into an imaginary world as a story Stripping them of their stained glass and Sunday school associations, one could make them for the first time appear in their real potency. And he says, could one not thus steal past the watchful dragons? <laughs> Which is just such a great line, I love that. This is this idea that, see the Bible says the human heart on its own, naturally, is in rebellion against God. The New Testament speaks of us having enmity toward God. We're rebels. We've taken up arms against the true king. And as a result, the heart sets up obstacle courses to get to the center of it. It puts up walls. It, it builds a drawbridge. And it, and, it, and it digs a moat. And it fills it with water around the heart. And it sets up watchful dragons like bulldogs trying to, to keep out anything that, that would attempt to conquer self and, of course, the definition of sin is self-rule. And so this whole idea of story has this unique way to kind of sidestep all those obstacles, all those things that, you know, we put up rational obstacles and psychological and our past and all these things. And, you know, I won't give Jesus a hearing. But story is so unique. Story has this amazing ability to get past the watchful dragons of our natural defenses and zero right in on the heart. And it allows us to think about things anew. Now, it's really interesting. If you, if you uh, open up the New Testament and you read Jesus' words there, did you know that one-third of all the words we have recorded by Jesus are in a, in, in a form of something called a parable, a story? Let me read for you Matthew chapter 13. I just want to read the first couple verses. If you have your Bibles, open to Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to be going through this one parable tonight, talking a little bit about the power of story and, and, and seeing a couple things that really launch us into this whole series. The parable we're going to look at tonight is almost a, uh, 
oftentimes people say it's one of the most basic parables Jesus ever taught because it makes sense of all parables and it makes sense of how parables, how story impacts people one way or another. Matthew chapter 13, in verse 1, the author Matthew tells us this. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. And verse 3 starts by saying, Then he told them many things in parables. Now the first question we ask is, why? Like, why, why parables? Think about just the word itself. The word parable, it's not an English word. You know, we get it from Greek, which is the original language of the New Testament. The original word parable, it's a, it's a compound word, meaning it's just it, it's two words that are kind of put together. We've got words like that in English. The first part of it is para. Uh, this just means alongside. And, and we've, got, we've got words in our English language, right, that, that, that have that, that uh, kind of prefix on there. A, uh, a paramedic is someone who comes alongside you to, to give you medical help, right? Um, a, uh, a paralegal is someone who, who would come alongside in order to give legal help in some way. You know, I, I, I didn't think a parachute, I don't know if that uses it. That's, that just keeps you from dying when you fall from real high. I don't, I don't know what that word exactly means. But um, the word balo in, in, in Greek parable is our word balo just means to throw. And so this is this idea that a, a parable is a story that's thrown alongside something you don't quite get. There's a new idea. There's something that you go, man, I just, I don't, I don't grasp that, or I can't grasp it because my, you know, my paradigm, my view, my understanding is so different that I can't grasp it. And so throwing, throwing something alongside it to say, it's like this. Think about this story. And maybe this story opens up new categories for you. Maybe this story has the ability to get past those views and those ideas that you have in a way that can really transform your thinking in a significant way. Um, you know, in fact, come to think of it, in the New Testament, um, the Greek word for Holy Spirit is oftentimes paraclete, which is this idea of an advocate coming alongside of us. Um, and so when you look at Jesus, what I would suggest he's doing, because Jesus talks about tons of things in life. You know, Jesus talks about um, life. He talks about sexuality. He talks about the future. He talks about your pocketbook. He talks about relation. He talks about so many different things. And when Jesus came on the scene, he, it's like he put the pieces of life together differently than anyone had ever heard. And his, his ideas, his answers revolutionized the world. It changed it in a big way. And it was sort of like everyone had a book, you know, the book of life, and people are reading it. But it's like, they're just parts that I don't get, I don't understand. And it's like the author of the book shows up and goes, let me, let me explain some of that to you. And all of a sudden, people are kind of connecting it and making sense of it. So when Jesus comes, the way he, t the, way he the author, which of course he claims to be the author of life, explains, says, let me tell you some little stories to help you make sense of the big story. Because it's a lot to grasp. So let me tell you some, some small stories in some way. Um, why did Jesus speak in parables? Um, you know, later on we'll talk a little bit about some other uh, reasons. But, you know, it's interesting. Verse 34 of this same chapter, if you jump down to just that, that one little line, 
Jesus, we're told, it says Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd. It says in parables, and there's this really interesting line. Matthew says, he did not say anything to them without using a parable, which is a really interesting statement. He stuck to that. It was for a pretty specific reason. Now, there's a lot of reasons, and again, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on just a couple tonight. Uh, there's, a, uh, there's a communications professor named Tim Muehlhoff. He has a Ph.D. in communications from University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And he had this really interesting statement. He said this. He said, um, you know, people study communication. They study how people think, how our memory works, how we understand when, it, when we're in a conversation or you're sitting out listening to someone talk. And he says, even, even just from having a conversation with somebody, the minute you walk away from a conversation, the minute you're done, studies tell us, you will forget 50% or you could say, remember, only 50% of what was said in that conversation. Now, what's scarier is that eight hours later, eight hours later, about 20% of what was said is remembered. Now, a communication expert, you know, what they want to know, people who are involved in, in the social sciences, they go, well, okay, my question is this. What's that 20%, Right? Like, what, what makes that up? Man, I want to be a good communicator. I want to understand how memory works. So what is it that even eight hours later, people will remember from a conversation, from a talk, or whatever it might be? And what's interesting, research tells us that what the 20% is, is illustrations, stories, and quotes. Those are the three things that make up the majority of that 20%. Stories illustrations, and quotes. So I would suggest, just practically speaking, that the first reason Jesus used parables to teach people was that they'd walk away with them. They would remember these radically different ideas about what life is like, these little stories to explain the big story. So eight hours later, his hearers are, are, are still remembering. And that's just how human memory works. So tonight's parable about the sower. This is Matthew chapter 13. I want to get to that. Before I do, let me, let me kind of try to set it up for us in a way. Um, one of the biggest challenges about interpreting parables, and this is true about parables, it's true about um, really all of the Bible. And actually, while I'm thinking of it, I've seen Don sit over there. You guys might be interested. Don uh, is teaching a Sunday morning class. This is on the back of your bulletin on the parables. And he's going to be doing a lot more of kind of the the, you know, the detail work on, okay, what are the principles? How do we understand them? Opening up um, in, you know, discussion format some of those parables. So you might be interested in checking that class out. I think it'll, I think it'll be a good one. It better be good, Don, because I just talk, people will be really disappointed. So, um, no, it'll be, it'll be fun. Um, and so as we think about it, one of the first things that we have to do is ask the question, okay, well, how did, how did the person standing there in their sandals, their shoes. How did they interpret the mini story or this extended illustration? How do we get into their shoes? So let me just kind of try to help set this up. Go back to the very beginning, the very first story that we have, Genesis. It's the book of beginnings, which is what it means. And we, the first role we see God taking is a gardener. Um, as people have said, we, we see God with dirt under his fingernails. 
God's hands are in the soil. He's working. And that's, that's sort of his, his final place. Remember, after the days of creation, he, he's built in this process a garden. And he places our first parents in this garden. And, and maybe paramount in the garden is this idea that there's this tree, this tree of life. And that's this picture of it's only here, it's only under my kingdom, under my rule, that you're going to just totally flourish and have life and really flourish in your own. And so God uses this idea, and this idea is burned in the Hebrew's mind. Oh, yeah, that's what life's like. It's like a garden, and it's like that tree. Well, this is why um, even after humanity rebels from God, sins, falls away, banished from the garden, kicked out, they, they can't access the tree of life even. When God speaks of how he is going to choose for himself a new people, remember he picks Abraham, and he says, you know, your kids and your kids, and I'm going you know, to fix the world through this. The image he uses in that whole process is the idea of building a garden. And he says it's going to be a garden with like grapevines and fig trees. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 5, verses 1 and 2, he's describing this idea of God taking Abraham, taking his family, what we call the Israelites, and, and putting them like a flag, putting them in the world at a, at a unique strategic place in the Middle East. And listen to the language he uses. He says... The author says, he, God, had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up. He cleared out of, he, uh, cleared out of stones, planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. And so God goes on to use this image um, even with regard to Israel's faithlessness. When Israel blows it, right, they sin, they don't live up to God's calling, and he says, I'm going to judge you. He uses the same thing. I'm going to send you into captivity. He says, I'm going to cut you off from the land. You won't have a king anymore. And you're going to be like uh, uprooted and moved to another place. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 2, the end of the verse we just read, he says, Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. So this is this idea. It's rich in the mind of the Hebrew people. They get this idea. In fact, if you, if you remember in the New Testament, remember when Jesus has that weird incident with the fig tree? Remember he goes, looks for the fig tree, and there's no fruit, and he curses it. And people oftentimes look at that, and they're like, man, that just seems you know, capricious. It seems weird. He's mad because it doesn't have fruit. It says it's not even the season. See, he spoke something rich. They got that. Because he, it, that was a symbol. That was a parable enacted showing them, here's you, Israel, and here's what you're not doing, and here's what's going to happen to you. So they understood. They identified with that idea. And so Israel saw themselves like a beautiful tree that had been cut down. And so they saw themselves as almost like a stump. You know, man, it, there used to be life there. There used to be a garden, but now we're like a stump. And so there exists this prophecy way back in the ancient Hebrew mind. There was a prophecy that a king, even though there's just a stump, a king is going to come back. And even though the tree's been cut down, the king will return, and there's like this remnant hope. Listen to the words of Isaiah chapter 11. He says, a shoot will come out of the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch, a little tiny new life, a little flower will start. A branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. 
See, one day the stump is going to grow again. Now, from our perspective, we realize, oh, this, this was a reference to the person of Jesus. He was that, that, that root or that, that little branch from the stump of Jesse's family. Jesse's the father of King David. And so this was the promise. God would one day establish a garden. And if that happened, then surely Israel's oppressor, Rome, would be kicked out. Life would be different. See, because God's rule impacts everything. It impacts, I mean, there's a psychological uh, reality to this. There, there are economic consequences to God's kingdom coming. There are racial. There, there are, I mean, just, it, it applies to all of life, and they understood that. That's what they were hoping for. Now, in light of that, listen to Jesus, one of these first parables that he starts and he's talking about the kingdom of God, what it means. Listen now, Matthew chapter 13, verse 3 through 9. It says, Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. Now think about what's popping up in your mind. This is a picture. Oh, you're talking about the very identity of Israel, kingdom, our purpose, what we're going to be. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Then he ends by saying, whoever has ears, let then here. Now, verse 10, I don't think this is up there, but in verse 10, right afterwards, um, his disciples come to him and they say, like, why, why are you talking like that? Why are you talking about this? Why are you doing, you know, speaking in parables? Why are you talking about this? And he says this, he says, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, meaning the kingdom of God, the nature of what God's kingdom is, he's saying, has been given to you, but not to others. And so here's the first observation, if you're, if you're taking notes. The first observation that I want to make about this, this parable here is that Jesus is primarily talking about how a person can get in on the kingdom of God. Because remember, God's rule affects all of life, everything that we do and think, all of it. How, how can I get in on that if that really is where I'm going to flourish? And, and that the kingdom of God, which, which Jesus inaugurated, is radically different than any other kingdom and all of human history. It's very, very different. See, all, all other kingdoms in the world, if you think about it, um, when they come, you know it. Okay? When Alexander the Great's kingdom came and he took over his, his, his predecessors, um, you knew it. There, there were two groups of people left when Alexander left the town, those in his kingdom and those who were dead. Okay? It's real obvious. His kingdom came in force. It was coercive. And there was no question you knew his kingdom was there. It was obvious. Now, you had a response. You could rebel against it and probably die. Or you could submit to it, whether you like it or not, or you might have bad motives or, you know, yeah, well, okay, I'll go in because I want to live. But those are the two ways to respond to a coercive kingdom, one that, one that kind of goes by force. Um, and this is true of every, you know, you think about the Bolshevik revolution in Russia in the, in the early uh, 20th century, or you think about the uh, Islamic revolution in Iran, 
right, in the late 1970s when the Shah is overthrown and kicked out. Every, every revolution, every kingdom of this earth, when a, when a, when a kingdom comes, it's obvious. The rule is, is harsh and it's, very, and it's very clear. So these kingdoms come like a boulder and they smash the ground. Brute force, coercion. But see, Jesus says, my kingdom, my kingdom's different. It's not like a bull, it's more like a seed. It's very, it's very small. Um, see, boulders change things externally. You know, they hit the ground, they punch it, they, they, they alter it that way. A seed changes things internally. A boulder comes suddenly, it comes coercively, aggressively. A seed, a seed um, it changes organically. It penetrates the ground, and it starts changing things internally. A seed transforms the soil by reorienting, by, by, by rechanneling its energies, all the, all the nutrients and the minerals in there, into, into a life-giving process itself. The seed transforms not superficially, but internally, and again, more, I would say, more completely even. So every, every other kingdom, bloody kingdoms, even, even demo, you know, democratic kingdoms, um, all kingdoms can only affect you externally, can only affect you coercively by trying to get you to conform in that way. But the kingdom of God comes to you by penetrating the heart or not. But it's totally, totally different. And see, I would suggest that many of us, some of you might even be saying, you know, you may not be a Christian and you may have kind of objections to Christianity and say, I don't know, you know, I've got a lot of you know, issues, my problems. Or you may be a Christian and, and, and be kind of miserable and be upset and be bothered because you think the kingdom of God should operate like the kingdoms of this world because that's what you know. That's what I know. It's like John the Baptist. Do you remember? There's a, there's a story in the Gospels. John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin, his half-cousin, and he's, he's kind of making, he, he's, he's saying Jesus is coming. He's making, he sees himself as a servant of the king. Jesus is the king. But he winds up in prison. You remember this? And he's sitting there in prison suffering, and he sends someone to go to Jesus to say, are you really the king? Are you really the one, or, or should we look for another one? Now, did John the Baptist have a problem of courage? Was, you know, was he just kind of giving? No. I mean, this is like one of the most courageous guys, his character, as we look at. That wasn't it. If anything, he had a problem of theology or a failure of theology. See, John the Baptist either forgot or didn't know that the kingdom of God doesn't move forward like Alexander's kingdom. See, John is sitting there, and he's thinking to himself, okay, if you're the king, and I'm a servant of the king, why am I suffering? Why am I in trouble? Uh, why is my head going to be lopped off here shortly? Um, why are people giving me such a hard time? Why is my life so difficult? Why don't more people believe in you? And that may be one of, one of your problems right now. If, this, if he's really on the throne, if he's really, really, if he's really the king, I'm following, why is life so difficult? And what Jesus says to John and what he says to us is, because my kingdom is different. See, Jesus says his kingdom works like the seed. It, it starts out, and a seed looks so weak, doesn't it? I mean, a, a seed, it's so vulnerable. It's so weak. It's so unassuming, um, underwhelming. I mean, there's nothing impressive about it. And that's the message of this kingdom. 
message of this kingdom is that a king came from heaven and triumphed by being tortured and killed. That's silly. I mean, that sounds ridiculous. It sounds upside down. It sounds inverted. But he says, he goes on to say, but his death was for your sins. It, it was for the, the rebellious heart thing that you have. And that now means that his kingdom can come inside you and all of his followers find themselves by losing themselves. Followers of this kingdom uh, know that the way up is really down. They know that the way to be rich is letting go of your money and not letting it control you. That the way to have power is to become a humble servant of others. That the way to really grow and be transformed into the likeness of Christ, to have, to have wisdom, to have love for other people, is to go through lots of suffering and pain and learn dependence upon God, upon others. See, this is a crazy message, but this is the message of the seed. It, 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 I mean, people say, You're ki- you really think this is going to change? That's not, that message isn't going to change things. It's not going to change anybody. Oh, yes, it is. But it does it differently than all other kingdoms will. The seed will one day wipe away every tear. That seed will one day destroy all evil itself. And, and so because of this, because this is the kind of kingdom, this is why Jesus has this really unique phrase. Remember the last uh, uh, phrase that he says after he gives the parable? He says, be careful, what? I think he says this. In the King James, he says, take heed how you hear. Be careful. Are you hearing? Did you really really hear. Now, why does he say that? I think he says it because the, because the seed is easy to miss. Jesus's kingdom is really easy to miss, and it's easy to dismiss. You give it an initial hearing, and you go, ah, that sounds crazy. That sounds dumb. That sounds ludicrous. That's not going to work. That's not going to change. That's not going to fix me, change my life. That's not really going to have a big impact. So you have to listen to this kingdom. You have to reflect. You have to think. You have to take it in. And so this parable tells us that there are many people who have not really entered this upside-down kingdom. They may think they have, or it may have the appearance that they have, but he's not talking about others primarily. He's talking about you, about me. He's saying, you think, or be really, really sure. What's so interesting, I think, is um, so many times when people come to Jesus and they say, I'm in. I'm in, baby. This is, I, you know, you got me. I'll do whatever you want, that sort of thing. Now, in our, in our kingdom, so, someone says that, we go, that's exactly what I'm looking for, right? I need a sucker, or I need a hard worker, or I need someone who will, you know, go to, that's great. People come to Jesus, and they say, I'm in, whatever you want. And he goes, like in Luke chapter 9, he goes, you know, foxes have uh, holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man, I say, oh, I don't have anywhere to lay my head. You sure? It's like he puts people off. You know, he doesn't go, absolutely, you know, sign up. He's saying, are you sure you know what my kingdom is? Are you sure? Because you've heard, but have you really reflected? Do you really get this? This kingdom thing is totally different than every other kingdom you know. Are you sure you want my kingdom, or are you inviting me into your kingdom? Because those are radically different things. And so this parable tells us, um, or forces us to ask the question that, that, that Jesus presses people on, have you really heard? Do you really know what this is about? And so, um, 
what he does in the rest of the parable here that we'll read is he, he, he basically gives tests to know, do I really get, am, am I really a part of this kingdom? Am I, really, am I really in it? So read with me Matthew chapter 13, verse 18. This is, um, this is later on, Jesus' disciples come in and they ask questions, and, he, and, and he, I mean, he hammers home the listening thing. Like, if you're, if you're not careful, if you're not focused, listen, you'll miss it and you'll dismiss it. So listen. And they're still asking questions, but this is one of the only parables in all of Jesus' four years so parables that he actually explains and says, let me make sure you really get this because it's pretty stinking important. So in verse 18, he says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. Verse 19 of chapter 13, he says, anyone who hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, um, I'm sorry, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in the heart. This is the seed sown along the path. This is the hard, compact ground that people have been walking on and the seed can't penetrate it. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of uh, the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life, the, the deceitfulness of, of wealth, choke the word, making it, I'm just going to have the key word, unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop. Remember, he's using this rich image, yielding 160, uh, 30 times what was sown. So let me give you kind of three tests that I would suggest Jesus offers here to say personally to you, have you really heard? Are you really listening? How are you listening? Because he says there are, there are different ways to listen. So the first way, he says, is beware of listening to Jesus with a hard heart. Beware of listening to Jesus with a hard heart. This is with the intellect only. And what this tells us is that you, you and I, I, I can be around church, I can be around the things of God, I can read my Bible, I can adhere to the creeds, I can sing worship songs, I can interact with, with things that are, that are of God. I can say, oh, absolutely, I, I believe it all. Um, and I agree with all the beliefs, but it's never made any personal, real penetration in my life. See, Christianity, it's all theoretical to this person. Um, has the Christian gospel, is, is it something that's theoretical for you? Do you study it? You're interested in you ask questions? Or has it become something that, that, that's a personal exploration for your life? Has it, has it really drawn, has, has it dawned on you? Um, do you see yourself? Are there times where like, you discover something in Scripture and it's like all of a sudden you just see something in yourself that you've never seen before? You know, it's kind of like you wake up and you just, man, I, I'm seeing things anew as I, you know, maybe I've heard Scripture, I've read it, or as I'm praying, you know, I'm interacting with God through you know, community and others. I'm, I'm finding out things about myself and I'm really seeing change in my life. Does it thrill you ever? Does it amaze you ever? Has truth Ever, have you ever had that sense that like truth has you by the throat? See, if not, you may be listening with a hard heart. 
So the first test or kind of uh, awareness is be careful not to listen to Jesus with a hard heart. The second test is beware of listening to Jesus with a shallow heart. Beware of listening to Jesus with a shallow heart. This is, this is emotional only. And this is an interesting picture that he draws. These are people, these people have responded to God, right? They've had this kind of initial, they've seen change in their life as a result of saying, man, I, I had this, you know, interaction with Jesus. Um, you, you know, they would say, I've accepted him in my heart. They've opened up their lives to him. But these people are like roots, which they're so close to the top. When, when heat comes, they can't take it. And they die. They walk away. As soon as suffering comes, as soon as trouble comes into life, they turn back and they go, man, what use is this Christianity thing? Um, you know, I why? Because I've lost these things, whatever it might be in my life, and I don't want to do that. So, you know, when they entered Christ's kingdom, again, really, they wanted Christ to enter their kingdom. They wanted a blesser, not a savior. They saw Jesus as a, as a service provider. And as long as, he, as long as he provides the services, as long as he you know, does what he says, as long as, you know, I, I want to see change in my life. I want to become a more patient person. I want to become a more, all, all these things. But as soon as I stop seeing him providing the services that I expect, I just walk away. I throw my hands up. I go, this is a crock. I don't want, you know, I don't want this. This is not what I signed up for, is the thought that often comes when we listen with a shallow heart. This shows that what, what the person really worshipped were the things that were lost when the heat came. They didn't really worship Christ. They worshipped things that were lost when the heat came, when, when difficulty came. Um, they saw themselves, you know, I'm a sufferer who needs, who needs a solution. Right? And oftentimes we can even talk about following Jesus that way. He'll make your life better. Well, ultimately, yes. But in the meantime, he says you have to die to self. Oh, I don't like that part of the message so much. So we can listen with a hard heart. We can listen with a shallow heart. And the third one is beware of listening to Jesus with a divided heart. Beware of listening to Jesus with a divided heart. Now, this is a really interesting group. These, you know, see, the first group, it never really, you know, made much of a penetration. The second group, yeah, it did, and there was interaction there, but then they left, they walked away. This group has not walked away. They're still there. They're still planted. They don't fall away, but... But the thorns in their life, the things that are competing, cause their life to, to not bear any real change or bear any real fruit. They're committed to Christ, but Christ shares control in their life with other things, even other good things. And as a result, their Christian life, it's, it's just choked. And they don't see change in their lives they don't really have any you know, kind of a deeper joy, a sense which gives them kind of a buoyancy amidst all the difficulties that they have. There isn't kind of you know, that power of God's spirit ebbing through their life amidst all of the suffering and all of the difficulty. They're always in doubt. They're always anxious. See, you, you will never be happy unless you've committed your life. I will never be happy until I've committed my life to the Lordship of Jesus, that I'm not sharing loyalty with other things. Um, you know, you love Jesus, but you're using parts of your life that, that don't honor him. Um, and you're not happy. Why? Because you're being choked. 
you love Jesus, but you're miserable. <laughs> you know your work's too important. You know your priorities are all out of whack. But you're, you're, you're not willing to be at that place where you really see change in your life. You don't experience that third response, that third group, where he says, this is the soil which receives it. And man, it, has, it, it flourishes. It has life. Let me give you one other possible problem that, that you may be encountering. You may say, you know what, I've got, man, I've got weeds in my life. I've got, I've got thistles. I've got the stones. I've, I've got all these things in my life that, man, I don't want there. And maybe your problem is you're confusing your role with the role of the gardener. You're trying to get those out of your life. You're trying to work so hard to make these changes. That's not your role. That's not my role. Your role is to, he says, listen, hear. Are you, are you in scripture? Are you in community? Are, are you laying yourself open to the spirit? Are you allowing him to, to remove the rocks, to remove the, the thorns in your life? Ask him to remove them because that's a prayer that he always says yes to. Because see, and I want to transition here uh, because we've got kind of something we're going to do at the end. So I want to transition to a time of prayer. But here's what I want to suggest. And that is that if you're, if you're living in that place where you would say, I don't see real change in my life. I know there are, I know are these, you know, these thorns that are there that are you know, competing. I know there are rocks which make just my life, my spiritual, my emotional life shallow. And I'm not living with real joy. It's because you haven't seen what Jesus did for you. See, Jesus says, you know those thorns? They were in my brow. You know those rocks? Yeah, I was buried behind one of those. And it's, if, if we understand, if we really grasp and take inside us the reality of what Jesus did for us and allows us to live in this, this kingdom of God, which is completely inverted, it sounds crazy at first, it sounds so weak, it sounds so small, it's slow going, but it's the only thing that will revolutionize my heart from the inside out and not just attempt to coercively change my life externally. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, as we have explored and looked at your word through this story, this parable, God, this is a challenge to every single one of us to say, how am I hearing, how am I listening to you with this message of this kingdom of God? And it, it, it's the only game in town. All other kingdoms, we're told, we read in scripture, will one day come to an end. They will be in ruin. They will no longer exist. And God, so many of us, we're, we're either working along the lines of one of those kingdoms. We're assuming that your kingdom works like that, so we're frustrated. We're allowing competition in, in our dedication to you. We have other things. Or there's just a shallowness to us because we don't really press in. We're not willing to turn back to the gardener when things seem difficult, when difficulty comes, when trials are there, when we're hurting and broken and sad. So Father, I pray that, that your Holy Spirit would apply these truths to our lives, God. Because of the truth be known, we probably all at different moments of our day and week listen to your Spirit's call with a hard heart. And sometimes we we listen with a very shallow heart. And sometimes we listen with a divided heart. But God, we ask you, the gardener, who from the very beginning 
knew what life should be like, how it could flourish. We ask you that, that you would till the soils of our heart. And over these next few weeks, God, as we explore these different parables, these stories, as, as we are invited into a story to evaluate from within a different kingdom outlook, God, we want our hearts to be soft. We want, we want to have good soil of our hearts. We want to listen. Would you help us do that, God? We need your spirit for that. We need you to illumine our minds and empower our hearts for this whole process. God, thank you for the person sitting next to us that, that, that can keep us at, at this task. Thank you for relationship, God. We love you so much. Thank you for what you're doing and that we can be a part of it, that you've called us into your kingdom. And that's a marvelous thing, God. We love you and we pray this in the strong, the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Hey, one of the things that, that we always do, this is, this is one of our values as community, um, is we're community, which community hangs out together. So we take like these last, you know, 10 minutes or so, and we've got, someone told me we actually have a Denver Broncos sheet cake, which is awesome, in the back. And um, so we've got cake back there, I don't, cookies, and just, you know, coffee, decaf, and water and stuff. So just be community hang out, and um, be together, okay? If you've got kids, go grab your kids, bring them back here. Well, wait till 8 o'clock because the kids program is going on. So bring them back. They can eat too. Help us kind of clear off that sheet cake, the Broncos sheet cake. So, and go Broncos, by the way, all right? Um, hey, so glad you guys are here. Love you guys. Our prayer team's going to be up front. Would, would love to pray with you, and we'll see you guys next week, okay? Have a good weekend.